Hey everyone, Mackenzie Lambert here, your host for Mac and the Movies, where I watch everything from art house to grindhouse, mainstream to obscure, the forgotten, and the unforgettable. This episode, we continue our journey through the Halloween series. Last time, we looked at the first three films. Halloween, the 1978 classic, Halloween 2, the 1981 slasher sequel, and Halloween 3, the underappreciated gem. This installment will feature Halloween 4, Return of Michael Myers, Halloween 5, Revenge of Michael Myers, and Halloween 6, Curse of Michael Myers, frequently referred to as the Thorn Trilogy. I'll get into that in a bit. No three tenors episode uh, this time. John and I will have a recording session in the next few weeks, so this one is going to be all about the movies and our celebration of the Halloween holiday. Without further ado, let's get into the movies. Ten years ago, on the night of October 31st, a small Midwestern town fell victim to an escaped killer. Under the cover of darkness, he carried out the most horrifying mass murder on record. Sixteen people in cold blood. Ever since that night, no one has forgotten his name. And Halloween has never been the same. Now, Michael Myers has come home. He has returned for one more night of unholy terror. Halloween 4, Return of Michael Myers, opens on October 30th, 1988, 10 years after Myers first escaped and terrorized the town of Hattonfield, Illinois. An ambulance arrives to transfer Myers, who miraculously survived being burned to death in Halloween 2. While en route to Smith's Grove, Myers breaks out and kills his ambulance escorts. The next day, Halloween, Dr. Sam Loomis arrives at Ridgemont Federal Sanitarium and chews out the staff for their ignorance. Dr. Loomis, joined by Dr. Hoffman, find out about the wrecked ambulance. Loomis knows Michael is heading back to Haddonfield. Michael is back to Haddonfield and is quick to start stalking his niece, Jamie Lloyd. Jamie is the daughter of Laurie Strode, who died in a car accident. We see the evolution of the bond between Michael and Jamie. When Michael finds his mask, Jamie finds a clown costume similar to the one worn by Michael when he stabbed his sister. Soon, Michael terrorizes Jamie with only Jamie's sibling, Rachel, along with Dr. Sam Loomis and local sheriff Ben Meeker to protect her. Adding to the chaos is a mob of drunken rednecks who are out to hunt down Michael. Halloween 4 was a result of the backlash of Halloween 3's Season of the Witch and the demand for Michael Myers to come back. Was the product we got worth it? With regards to this film, just barely. Halloween 4 is as basic a slasher movie as you can get from the late 1980s after years of Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Streets. Halloween was late to the party and had minimal to offer. The film came out in 1988. By this point, we had the likes of Evil Dead 2, Reanimator, Return of the Living Dead, Demons, Nightmare on Elm Street 1, as well as 3, The Dream Warriors. Jason Voorhees died and came back as a zombie, which was immediately followed by him facing off against the girl with telekinetic powers. What could Halloween offer by this point that would move the needle? From what I saw, 
very little. One of my biggest grievances with the film was the fact that Michael Myers and Dr. Loomis were brought back with pretty much no explanation. We saw these two blown up in a hospital. No one is surviving that. Yet, here these two are. This is the exact same problem I have with Bride of Reanimator with the return of both Herbert West and Dr. Hill. But I'll come to that once I cover the Reanimator films. Oh, and uh, let's discuss that misleading poster and box art. The mask is the classic Captain Kirk mask, which wasn't used in Halloween 4. You can also see the Wallace house from the original film Halloween behind Michael. That doesn't appear in the movie either. The hopes and expectations of Myers fans were preyed upon for the hopes of quick box office money. Dwight H. Little took over the directorial duties of the film. Halloween 4 was the first film of note in his filmography, however he would garner some mainstream credits with Phantom of the Opera with Robert England in the title role, Marked for Death, probably my favorite Steven Seagal movie, Rapid Fire with the late Brandon Lee, and the 2010 film adaptation of the video game Tekken. Scoring the film fell on the shoulders of Alan Haworth. Haworth was a frequent collaborator with John Carpenter through the 1980s. Uh, he worked with Carpenter on seven films, including Escape from New York, Christine, Big Trouble in Little China, and They Live. He also worked on the sound design for some of the biggest films of the 80s and 90s. Raiders of the Lost Ark, Poltergeist, Army of Darkness, Bram Stoker's Dracula, The Mask with Jim Carrey, Stargate, Hunt for Red October, The Man's a Legend in the Field. Danielle Harris made her film debut as Jamie Lloyd. She carries the film with a great energy for an 11-year-old who easily passes for an 8 or 9-year-old. She sells the terror of having this unstoppable monster and the vulnerability of being in that situation. Harris would make a name for herself appearing in Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead, the TV series Roseanne, Free Willy, a Nickelodeon classic The Wild Thornberries, some of the Hatchet films, and the underrated Stakeland. Donald Pleasance returns as Sam Lewis, and he just goes off the rails the whole time. For a guy who was in an explosion, the minimal damage on his face and hands is pretty impressive. At least Michael was bandaged from head to toe. Stuntman actor George Wilbur took on the role of The Shape, a.k.a. Michael Myers. Wilbur is clearly not as lean as either Nick Castle or Dick Warlock, but I chucked that up to Myers being immobile for a decade, which... Should have deteriorated any muscle tissue, but then again, I'm probably thinking too much over this. This won't be the last time he pops up as Myers. The man has an amazing list of stunt credits to his name, going all the way back to the original Planet of the Apes, uh, through to the William Girdler classic Grizzly. Uh, he was an Escape from New York, uh, Star Trek II Wrath of Khan. He did stunts for both Ghostbusters and Ghostbusters 2, Die Hard, Sounds of the Lambs. Even Suburban Commando, uh, and that's just a tip of the iceberg. Ellie Cornell showcases as the sister to Jamie, Rachel. During the manic third act, she shows her resourcefulness in helping Jamie evade Michael. The same year she played Rachel, uh, she was a reporter in the cult classic Married to the Mob. Aside from the softcore series Femme Fatales, she would appear in the Uwe Bull movie adaptation of House of the Dead. The supporting cast is filled to the brim with cult cinema legends, which was a highlight for me. Uh, Sasha Jensen was Rachel's boyfriend, Brady. This was years before his hilarious performance as Don in Dazed and Confused. Carmen Philippi had the bit part of Reverend Sayer. 
Philippi appeared previously uh, previously appeared in Pee-wee's Big Adventure and Beetlejuice. Uh, he would follow up Halloween Four with Wayne's World, Ed Wood, and The Wedding Singer. Gene Ross was Earl, the head of the Redneck Posse, hunting down Myers. For those who missed my Petrifying Bijou series, um, I featured the film Don't Look in the Basement, which had Gene Ross as an ex-murdering judge. I mentioned Judge. Uh, I'm sorry. <clears throat> I mentioned Ross had a particular bragging right. He appeared in both a Halloween movie and a Friday the 13th movie, but it gets better. Both films he appeared in were part four of both series. So yeah, not only Halloween 4, but Friday the 13th part four as well. Last but certainly not least, we have Michael Pataki as Dr. Hoffman. The man started acting in 1958, and he's still going strong. In Halloween 4, he has to try to not overact Donald Pleasance, and trust me, Pataki has it in him to do so. His turn as Hoffman comes after his roles in Twilight Zone, Rawhide, the Adam West Batman series, Happy Days, the Amazing Spider-Man series with Nick Hammond, Remo Williams' The Adventure Begins, and Rocky IV. For my money, some of his best work was providing the voiceover for the Sewer King in Batman the Animated Series. Halloween 4 fails to deliver because it was dormant for so long as horror changed and the slasher genre had changed. The original Halloween was a game changer, but Halloween 4 was playing catch up while the other slasher franchises pretty much crossed the finish line. Despite the fantastic cast and Alan Haworth doing the music, Halloween 4 just did not impress me. Sheriff? They want you down to the cemetery. Today in the cemetery, somebody dug up a coffin. It was a coffin of a nine-year-old girl. You've come back to us, Michael. When are they going to realize that she is not him, she's just a child? They know that Michael Myers is her uncle, and that she attacks her stepmother. That's why they fear her. Especially on Halloween. You're afraid. You're afraid the whole thing might start to happen again. How many people did he kill last year? Have you forgotten? But you never looked into his face, did you? You never saw his eyes. You never saw that nothing, no expression, blank. My memory goes back 12 years. I prayed that he would burn in hell. But in my heart, I knew that hell would not have him. Michael Myers is outside. The National Guard will take him to a maximum security facility. But he'll stay till the day he dies. Never die.
Scream 5 Revenge of Michael Myers opens where the previous film ended. Myers is shot, then falls into a cavern. Someone has the bright idea to throw down a stick of dynamite, but Myers makes it out of the cavern before the dynamite explodes. He is carried down by rapids and ends up at the home of a hermit, echoing the universal classic Bride of Frankenstein. Michael collapses and falls into a coma. One year later, Halloween 1989, Jamie Lloyd is in a children's clinic after attacking her foster mom. She has frequent nightmares. Jamie is constantly under the monitoring of Dr. Sam Loomis. Her surviving the previous ordeal has led to her having a psychic connection to Myers. Not long after Myers recovers from his coma, we see what would be the thorn symbol on Myers' wrist. Myers kills the hermit, then proceeds to engage in his murder spree to kill his niece. Again. Oh boy, if uh, the last film failed to impress me, part 5 managed to be even less exciting. This one falls into the slasher trappings that were executed in better films. We now have bumbling comic relief deputies that seem right out of Last House on the Left, including clown shoe music. The presence of comic relief in a series known for lacking it speaks volumes of the state of the series. This was a lame movie. For being the middle movie of the Thorn trilogy, nothing of that nature was previously established in Part 4. This nonsense is all Part 5 and continues into the next film. In Part 5, we have the Mark of Thorn. We have the introduction of the Man in Black. With the movie taking place in Hattonfield, we have a climax that takes place at the Myers house, but it is clearly not the same house from the previous Halloween films. It's something I refuse to accept that this is supposed to be the Myers house, but it's just so dramatically different. Swiss director Dominique Othenin Girard, if that's not how it's pronounced, I apologize, handled the directing responsibilities. I honestly can't say I'm familiar with his work in general. Uh, this film and The Omen Part 4 are the only films from his career that I remotely recognize. Alan Howarth returned to provide the music score. Danielle Harris, Ellie Cornell, Donald Pleasance, and Bo Starr return from the previous film, reprising their respective roles of Jamie Lloyd, Rachel, Dr. Loomis, and Sheriff Meeker. Don Shanks took on the role of Michael Myers as well as being the man in black. There are times we see clear glimpses of Myers's face and he's not burned. I was immediately reminded of Kane in WWE being a mask and there are no physical burns. Just these burns are in his mind, which is just some of the stupidest stuff I've ever heard. You had KMB effects work on this film and they couldn't do burn makeup for Michael Myers. Really keeping some continuity between four and five. <sighs> At least Loomis still has his burn scars as little as they are. Shanks would later play the killer fisherman in the threequel, I Still Know What You Did Last Summer. I mentioned the character of Billy Hill, uh, played by Jeffrey Landman, because his friendship with Jamie Lloyd gave the film some unexpected heart. When she's mute, uh, he helps by voicing her sign language and gasping. Landman didn't do much after this, save for some uncredited appearances. Oh, and he was born in Buffalo, New York. Represent. Wendy Kaplan was annoying at first at Tina, yet she ends up being the protector for Jamie. She steps up, sacrificing herself to buy Jamie and Billy time to escape. Good on her. 
Can't really blame her for her performance, that's just how she was directed to be. In a small role there is Troy Evans as Deputy Charlie. That pudgy face and signature crew cut is unmistakable. Uh, the man's been involved in Twin Peaks, he was in Under Siege, Demolition Man, the miniseries for The Stand, Ace Ventura Pet Detective, The Frighteners, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. He's a good, reliable character actor. Halloween 5 managed to be worse than Halloween 4. Same pitfalls that plagued the last film. It's a typical slasher film, but lacking the fun of the Friday the 13th series at this time, or a magnetic personality of Robert England's Freddy Krueger. It doesn't try to stand out or be different. I am beginning to question how people speak so highly of this franchise when what I'm seeing is not that good. Every legend is based on fact. Every myth is grounded in truth. For 17 years, the town of Haddonfield, Illinois has been haunted by a night when evil roamed the streets and a madman ruled the night. Everyone knows his name. Now, everyone will know the truth. I knew what he was, but I never knew why. Halloween Sits, the origin of Michael Myers. Okay, wow, I didn't realize I was going to be using that earlier of a trailer back when it was still called The Origin of Michael Myers, but now that it was later changed to Halloween Curse of Michael Myers. Alright, Halloween 6 Curse of Michael Myers opens on October 30th, 1995, six years after the events of Halloween 5 Revenge of Michael Myers. We see Jamie Lloyd is in labor with child. Right off the bat, we have to remind ourselves that this is a 15-year-old girl who was impregnated against her will and forced to carry her child. Seriously, who's running the cult of Thorn, the Texas legislature? Jamie eventually gives birth and the child is taken away from her. A nurse comes back to Jamie with her child and helps her escape. Michael takes out the nurse and gives chase to Jamie. Jamie makes it to a bus depot and calls into a radio program. She tries to warn the radio host about Michael and the Cult of Thorn. The call is overheard by the trio of Sam Loomis, Tommy Doyle, and Kara Strode. Michael kills Jamie, but was unable to locate her baby. Shenanigans ensue in Hattonfield with Tommy Doyle, Sam Loomis, Kara Strode, the baby, and Kara's son, Dennis, having to deal with Michael, the Cult of Thorn, and Kara's abusive father. If it sounds like I'm cutting the plot summary short, I am. <laughs> this film is a mess. The biggest point of discourse for this film was the theatrical cut overseen by the Weinsteins versus the producer's cut overseen by longtime Halloween backer Mustafa Akkad. I can point you to two YouTubers who can explain this backstory more patiently and effectively than I could. There's Dead Meat as well as Dr. Wolfula. My biggest takeaway was the notion that Michael's, um, Michael's seed was used to impregnate Jamie. The uncle and the niece 
had the baby. Did Vince McMahon write this? Halloween 6 Curse of Michael Myers thankfully ends the Thorn duo of films. I am not counting Halloween 4 as part of this trilogy since there is not a single hint or mention of the Thorn Society in that film. None of the writers from Halloween 5 returned to help write Halloween 6, the douchebags. They set up all these elements and don't have the decency to piece everything together themselves. Overall, the film is another generic slasher going through the motions. There's no energy. Alan Holworth's original score was dropped in favor of dated 90s rock. Even the gore is unimpressive, save for a head explosion. They can't compare to Scanners, Choppy Mall, or even Evil Dead 2. This film has one good idea in that the Halloween holiday was banned for six years, fitting with the disappearance of Michael and Jamie. With the return of the Halloween celebration, there could have been some town that dreaded sundown vibes as people cautiously try to reclaim a sense of normalcy with the Halloween holiday. Yet, not much else was done with it. The movie exemplifies the staleness plaguing the horror genre that would receive a much-needed fire under its ass, thanks to Wes Craven's scream. Joe Chappelle handled the direction of the theatrical cut. Chappelle would move on to greener pastures after this mess. Phantoms, which became a meme unto itself thanks to Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Numerous television, including CSI Miami, Fringe, and Chicago Fire. Donald Pleasance returns, and clearly he is in ill health. But credit where credit is due, he came through during the production. He passed on during post-production, and the film was dedicated in his memory. The man deserved a better film to close out his career on. According to multiple sources, director Joe Chappelle edited out many of Loomis' scenes because he found Donald Pleasance to be quote-unquote boring. What an asshole. Paul Rudd made his feature film debut with Halloween 6, but the film was released after Clueless. Rudd was apparently embarrassed by this film and asked to be credited as Paul Stephen Rudd for the theatrical cut, but kept his name uh, no name for the uh, producer's cut. We all know Paul Rudd. We all love Paul Rudd. Personally, he's the reason I'm stoked for Ghostbusters Afterlife. You keep being you, Mr. Rudd. Marianne Hagen took on the role of Kara Strode. She was on the receiving end of some body shaming by the Weinsteins for being seen as too skinny, confirming they were scumbags for a long time. Hagen would later appear in Stakeland. She appeared frequently on television, having the bragging right of playing six different characters throughout the Law & Order series and spinoffs. Mitchell Ryan plays Dr. Wynn, who turns out to be the man in black that busted Myers out of jail in 1989. Without a doubt, one of the most anticlimactic reveals of all time. It would have helped to introduce this character, oh, I don't know, two movies ago? The man has been in his share of classics. Friends of Eddie Coyle, if you haven't seen it, it is an amazing Boston-based crime drama with Robert Mitchum. High Plains Drifter, Magnum Force, Lethal Weapon, and Gross Point Blank. George P. Wilbur returns to play Michael Myers, still as cushiony as ever. Michael Lerner was used as a stand-in for the reshoots. Both lack the menace of either Nick Castle or Dick Warlock. J.C. Brandy was in the thankless role as the 15-year-old Jamie Lloyd. She was hired because the Weinsteins weren't willing to pay for Danielle Harris to come back. Once again, the Weinsteins were scumbags. Halloween 6 continued the downward spiral of the series. 
So much that the next film, Halloween H2O, retconned the previous films. So, holy crap. Um, how many times has this series hit the reset button uh, before they just decide to pull the plug? And that wraps up this episode of Mac and the Movies. I'm going to be honest, I'm questioning the taste of many on social media. People act like these are good movies. Poll after poll, usually created by a Twitter uh, fan of the Halloween series, pits the Halloween franchise against the likes of Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, Evil Dead, Reanimator, and others. And yet Halloween wins. Regularly. I mean, no surprise given who's putting up the poll, but... You are all just absolutely wrong. These movies were so good, apparently. Even Miramax had to disown them, retconning the series for the first time with Halloween H2O. Speaking of Halloween H2O, next time we finish up the Halloween journey, I'll be reviewing Halloween H2O, Halloween Resurrection, and the second retcon, the Halloween film from 2018. Um, Like I said previously, no Rob Zombie films. However, I may catch Halloween Kills next week, since they're bringing back so many of the original film's cast. Seeing Charles Cipher's back definitely caught my attention. I'll probably get a ticket for a weeknight showing, so I won't have to deal with the crowds. If you like this content and want to see the program grow, spread the word of these episodes. Elevate the show beyond one of the best-kept secrets on the internet. Uh, I have a PayPal and Venmo as tip jars. Uh, support the media you watch and listen to. Chip in a buck or two. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I also have content up on YouTube again. Uh, until next time, this is Mackenzie Lambert for Mac and the Movies, signing off. Mm-hmm.